Welcome to our podcast, the title Last Ones at the Bar. We're here to talk about all of the important affairs this week in the sport of boxing. My name is Wilton Henry, and this week I'm accompanied by Lavelle Jackson. Danny is going to be out um, this week, and so you'll just have the dynamic duel. Vail, um, I got a quick question for you, man. Do you think uh, your boy Kyrie, you know, you think they should let him play or not? Well, that's a it's a touchy subject because of how people feel about you know the vaccine and all that. Um, me personally, I think he has a right to. to, to it's it's two sided because he does have a right to play because you know you gotta respect his decision to to want to uh, what he does with his body should be his decision number one. But at the same time, I mean, he, you're also dealing with rules and procedures of a of a company that he works for, which is the NBA. And he has to abide by that also. So it's a hard, hard thing to for me to really think about because I understand both sides of it. You know, you don't want to just be putting, you know, anything in your body just cause. But at the same time, I mean, if your job say do it and you don't, you don't, you don't need to work there, most people just have to go get another job. <laughs> so I kind of see uh, both sides of it. But the, and, and one of the things that they brought up is that they let uh, Magic Johnson play when he had, you know, HIV and I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of Magic Johnson, uh, so no disrespect to, to him, but there is a big difference uh, into it. It's a big difference between an NBA player having a collision with Magic Johnson uh, where, you know, the skin may break and it may, it may you know, a, a exchange of fluids or blood may be exchanged. It's a difference between that and a, and, a, and a collision with Kyrie Irving who may have possibly have COVID or anything like that. And you may catch COVID. Those are different things, you know, different health challenges. So, and it's a lot of things to consider. And, and I don't have the answer. I'm not, I'm not a doctor or anything. I, I don't, that's probably why I don't make decisions like this. But uh, Kyrie is free to his opinion, but his company is free to do what they do also. Yeah, it's a tricky situation, you know, that you have there, you know. And, you know, it's a pandemic. I just, like personally, as far as them pushing people to get vaccinated, it's like you said, man, it's, that's a personal decision. That's a personal choice. I just don't like the fact that they are pushing it on people like that. Now, just to make the suggestion that, you know, you should get the vaccine, I can understand that. But like mandating it and things like that, we have to put something in your body and people have the right to you know, not do that, you know, sort of thing. The other thing is, as far as the push to get people vaccinated, it's really that person who's putting themselves in jeopardy if the science is correct, you know, because a person who gets vaccinated, they still can get COVID, right? And I know that the symptoms of it shouldn't be as harsh if you're vaccinated, but at the same time, you know, you still could spread the disease, even if you have the um, the vaccination. So that's the thing that I'm so I'm a little bit leery of in terms of why they make it out to be like this huge mandate and, and things like that. You know, I can see them mandating it if you get one shot, that's it. You can't pass it along, you know, and, and, and things like that. But the fact that you still can get it, and you still can pass it along. I don't understand that piece of it. But that's a whole nother conversation. I also want to throw that question out there because, you know, like KD said, he said, you know, we need Kyrie, you know what I mean? And so I feel like that sometimes when we have these episodes without Danny, you understand what I'm saying? So let's go ahead and get off into these topics for this week. So we're going to start off um, this past weekend. You had a few fight cards, some really good action this past weekend. So let's go ahead and start off with that Showtime card where you had, Jamal Shango James versus Raza Butayev. Uh, what did you think about that fight last night? Uh, this fight was more exciting than I thought it was going to be, and it was it was it was interesting too because I'd never seen Butayev before. You know, yesterday I've, I've seen a little bit of Jamal James, but you know, just, even just before even watching this fight, I'm like, this is going to be inter this is be interesting. I think it will be exciting. But I did think Butayev might cause Jamal James a little bit of trouble based off, you know, his, his amateur uh, background that I, I looked into. I was like, huh, 
okay, but I never really seen a lot of them. But uh, coming to this fight, uh, Jamal James, he came out the first few rounds, you know, utilizing the jab and using a lot, utilizing some movement. And um, and Butai was basically just trying to walk him down, trying to bring some pressure to him. Uh, and you know what, Jamal James, he, he, you know, he, he used to get a lot of flack for not having a, a, a pretty a good jab, but his jab is pretty decent. It's just not, he doesn't have, you know, enough speed and, and pop to really like, and, and his one-two is not really like, you know, um, as good as some of the, the fighters we've seen that can utilize it. But the problem with James is he don't always utilize his reach the entire fight. And it played out in this fight where after the, the, the first two rounds, first two or three rounds, uh, he stopped utilizing the jab and started getting into a shootout with uh, Butav, which which played right into Butav's uh, game plan. And Butav just basically just went to the, the body and was throwing uh, vicious uh, counter punches and, and the combinations and uh, some uppercuts. And even Jamal James was throwing some, some shots himself, but it wasn't, I think, uh, Batav was taking his punches better than James than James was. So uh, I think the pressure started to really get to James in, in around the, the fourth round, right after Batav started turning southpaw. And he, he James just, just continued to get busted up, you know, the remainder of the fight. And in the ninth round, the fight was stopped. And some people were saying that the, the, the stoppage was premature. I can actually see that. I can maybe they could have gave him the ref could have gave him maybe 20 more seconds. But I mean, I don't think Jamal James was going to come back and he didn't have, you know, some fighters, they have uh, certain attributes and, and it's not a knock on on James. Uh, some fighters have attributes that can allow them to get back into fights, which is some have power or counter punching ability or uh, uh, speed or, or even movements. But Jamal James, he wasn't really showing enough by that time. He didn't start to, to, to really, he didn't really uh, move a lot, you know, after that, that third round and he started to fall apart. And it was only a matter of time before his corner probably took him out. So it, it wasn't technically a bad stoppage. I could see where it could have went on longer. But then again, you know, Jamal James, you know, he's a nice guy we don't you know you never want to see these guys take too much punishment than they have to and it seemed like he wasn't going to really uh win this fight so and there was some talk about him having a layoff too and i and that could have played into it it looked like his stamina was was pretty much zapped after the, the second or third round um and that was kind of odd you know being someone who, who trained for this fight but again he did have a, a long layoff but uh, shout out to Butal. It'll be interesting seeing him going forward and seeing who they match him up with in this uh, stack welterweight division. All right. So, yeah, that was a really, really action-packed fight last night in the main event. Um, you know, to a certain degree, I was, I was kind of surprised that Jamal James was the headliner when you had, you know, Boots Ennis on the card because, you know, to me, Boots is just – you know, I know he hasn't fought the best competition in the world, but as far as him, his potential. And then also he has that um, star quality, you know what I mean? And that's something that, you know, no knock against Jamal James. He just doesn't have that, you know, allure, you, you know what I mean? But anyway, in this fight, Jamal came in at 27-1 with 12 KOs. He's 33 years old, 6'2", out of Minnesota. Um or Minneapolis, Minnesota. Razab Butayev is out of Russia. They call him the Python. He is uh, was 13-0 with 10 KOs, 27 years old, uh, 5'10 and a half. Um, like I say, coming into the fight, I think Jamal James was a slight favorite. Um, as for the fight, I had it 50, I mean 77, 74 for Butayev. Um, when it was all said and done, but like you said, it was a ninth round TKO stoppage for Butayev. Also, like I said, going into the fight, um, Jamal James hadn't fought since Thomas Delorme in August of 2021 or 2020. So he was on a long, long layoff, you know. And the other fight that he lost prior to this one was the fight against Yudanis Ugas in 2016. 
Now, as far as the fight is concerned, Butayev, he was spending a lot of time, you know, attacking James from that southpaw stance. And I think that kind of threw Jamal James off. I haven't, I had never seen Butayev fight before that, but just based on what the announcers were saying, that was something, that was a new wrinkle, you know, that he brought to the table. And he was having a lot of success when he was in that southpaw stance. And from the start, you can tell Butayev, he just had more power. You know, he was doing much more damage to James when when um, he was landing on James as opposed to when James was landing on him. Oh, yeah, yeah. A, a couple of things, too. They took a point away from Butayev. I want to say it was the fifth round. But before they took the point away, like, Butayev was hitting him so hard that sometimes James would turn his back. And I think that that was more of what contributed to Butayev, like, kind of clipping him on the side of his head. And then when the ref saw that he broke him up and he took a point away, I'm glad that it didn't have any, you know, bearing on the outcome of the fight, because I don't think that that really was justified. I think the ref just caught a bad angle and he thought that it was more than what it actually was. I think James, like I said, I thought he was the one who really contributed to um, that actually happening, but you know, all in all, man, despite a valiant effort on James part, Butaya was just, it was just too much in terms of those, you know, hard shots. He kept landing on James and eventually the ref stopped the carnage in the ninth round. Um, James lost his WBA secondary belt that he had to Butayev. Butayev is going to be, you know, a tough, you know, fighter for some of those other guys. I would like to see him in boots, you know, tango necks. Um, but we will get to that. We'll get to like Boots Ennis and, 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 and all of that. But the last thing that I want to say, Ville, is this, is that, like I said, with Jamal James, and again, this is no knock to him. And I don't want to sound harsh when it comes to Jamal James, but he's really like, if you think about the top welterweights, I don't know if he's like in a top 10, you know, and sometimes those guys who are secondary belt holders, that's the reason why it's too many belts in a sport. Because I don't think that Jamal James, and again, I don't want to sound harsh. I don't think that, like, he should be considered a world champion because it kind of confuses the public. For instance, that's similar to the belt that Mario Barrios had that Tank Davis took. And so just for face value, if you say somebody is a WBA champion and then you have this more popular guy can come, you know, and take and, and, and take one of those belts, then the public is just thinking, oh, he has the WBA belt, which really, like I said, it's a secondary belt. And some of those guys just aren't nearly as talented as the upper echelon fighters. But um, not to take anything away from Butayev, that was a very impressive victory that he had last night. Anything else you have on that fight? Uh, yeah, yeah. And he brought up a great point. And we've talked about about how it's you know too many belts and again this is a the wba title and this is kind of the corner they, they back themselves into because uh i guess ugas no manny pacquiao or ugas was the wba champion and, I, and it's so confusing that i can't even remember what happened but jamal james is the one who ended up the interim champion uh and 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 even and after ugas beat pacquiao something else happened where they tried to take that interim title away from or change him or change his status from uh, maybe a regular champion to a interim champion and if this sounds confusing that's because i'm confused because it is confusing because again it's too many belts but you know shout out to butayev and 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 we'll get to the to you know how he matches up with boots because i i did kind of see that they were trying to to it seemed like they were setting that fight up too since you know i don't think Butayev, I don't think he's going to be on anybody's, uh, any of the top what the waste list anytime soon. So, okay. Also on the card, we had another welterweight bout uh, against a rising, uh, a rising superstar trying to stake his claim up the uh, welterweight ladder. Uh, we had Jerron Boots Ennis versus uh, Thomas Delorme. Uh, do you see that fight, Will? And what you th- what were your thoughts on? Oh man, you know. Oh, Boots, man. Boots came in. You know, he's 24 years old out of Philadelphia, 5'10". He looks taller than 5'10", though. 74-inch reach. He moved to 28-0 with 26 KOs, fighting the um, Wiley veteran, Thomas DeLorme. 
who fell to 25-6-1 with 16 KOs. He has, 70, has a 73-inch reach, 5'10". He's 31 years of age. All right, so this fight really didn't last that long, but, you know, it was exciting, you know, while it did last. So in his first round, DeLorme, he came out, and he was doing pretty well, I would say, for the first 30, you know, to 45 seconds. But then right at about the minute mark, Boots caught DeLorme with an overhand right, and DeLorme crumpled, you know, to the canvas from that chopping right hand. Boom. And so he fell kind of like tumbled face first, you know, onto the canvas. And DeLorme got up on some unsteady legs, you know, kind of like he had a bottle of Ripple, you know, or something that was a little stronger than 80 proof. And so he got up and he clipped Ennis with the right hand, but Ennis ate it well. And then about three seconds later, Ennis dropped DeLorme with the straight right. And then DeLorme got up with the toddler legs and the referee waved it off. And so Boots ended up with the first round KO you know, of a guy who never gets KO, you know what I mean? So that was very impressive on his part. And after the fight, you know, shortly after the fight, when they inter interviewed him, um, well, in a post-fight interview, Boots was saying that he wants Spence. I don't know, you know, with his skill set, he's going to be a very difficult task for anybody at the welterweight level, you know what I mean? Because he has so many gifts, you know what I mean? That size, like I say, if he's 5'10", He's the tallest 5'10 that you possibly can be and 74 inch reach. Like that's a pretty nice reach advantage that he's going to have on most fighters that he faced at the world's weight limit with the exception, I think, of Terrence Crawford. Now, and that power, you know what I mean? Like he's, he's whacking these guys and he's hurting these guys. And like I said, DeLorme is a tough cookie, you know, like to get him out of there that early um, is, is very impressive. The only thing is, even in this win, you saw like a little, a few chinks in his armor, right? Where DeLorme got off the few times that he landed, he landed a couple of flush shots. And it's like, okay, if he fights somebody that is like at a higher level or with more power, could that spell trouble for Boots? You know what I mean? He needs to tighten up his defense a little bit. And what if a guy can absorb some of the punishment that he's going to inflict on him or they can evade the punishment and he gets tired. So we just don't know those things. So I, that's why I think for Boots, instead of rushing to go after a Spence, I think that he needs to check off a few more boxes. So like you said, Butayev might be, you know, a good opponent to go after next. Um, That'd say a lot if he can get through Butaya because Butaya, based on what I saw against James, one thing he does have is some is some power and some punches. You know what I mean? That um, he's able to deliver. He has a pretty good arsenal, um, and he's a caliber above Jamal James. So if he can get through somebody like that, then I can see him going for a Spence fight afterwards, or maybe fighting another guy of that caliber and then going into a Spence fight. But it was an impressive victory. I, I've seen against this level of opposition, Jerron Ennis looks tremendous. Um, what do you think, Val? Uh, you pretty much said it right. I mean, it, it was a very impressive victory, um, but it was an exciting fight, and we, we did see some things in, in this fight. DeLorme did do well in, in some of the exchanges. Uh, I did. I was impressed by Jerron Ennis jab and how he started off with it. It was, it was like the first five seconds he threw this this very aggressive jab, and DeLorme kind of knew like I'm 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 in this. And what I like about DeLorme is he didn't just shy away from it. He was like I'm in this, but I'm gonna go for it. You know, I mean, if I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna go out. And it's interesting because DeLorme doesn't always have that reputation of a guy that does that as far as when you think about that, he's not the name that comes up, even though he he's always shown himself as a, you know, a pretty a formidable opponent. Like he, he's not somebody who's going to fight scared or shy away. So, so it was interesting to, to, to watch that. Even when he went down from the right hand to the side of the head, he was kind of buzzed then, but he got up and it's like, okay, I'm still in this. I'm in this to try to win this. And he did have that uh, exchange where he caught Ennis with, the, with that right hand. And, you know, I thought it was interesting, you know, that uh, I, I was very impressed how Ennis, you know, took that right hand because it was like, whoa, even the crowd was like, whoa. And he pretty much ate it. And, and like you said, it, it'll be interesting to watch 
uh, those shots from, you know, higher opposition. But a lot of that is going to hinge on how good uh, Jerron Ennis' chin is. And if his chin is really that good, it, it, it can spell trouble for the welterweight division. But moving forward, how he does against the top five, I'm not sure if, if the top five is going to give him a shot anytime soon. I think uh, he will end up in, with a fight like uh, Butayev. Or even I could see him in a fight with uh, the only person I think will, will probably uh, go for that if he doesn't get the Spence fight is, is Ugas. I can see you're doing this Ugas uh, giving Jerron Ennis a shot, but at the same time, uh, I don't, I don't, I think Ennis is more ranked than the IBF. He's ranked higher in the IBF than he is in, with the, the WBA. So I think Butayev is something that they're probably going to build towards. And even I can see if, if uh, I can see Keith Thurman taking the bait, which is ironic and it's funny because, you know, Keith Thurman will always take those type of fights when he was a champion. But I think he may have feel like he has something to prove and say, look, I'm going to teach this young cat a lesson. But um, it was a good win for Jerron Ennis. I've always been high on him. And it's interesting to watch his rhythm because when, when you hear it, we see other guys that's athletic like that, throw combinations, you'll be pop, 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 or pop, 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 pop. But it's, his combinations are almost like, they're, they're sped up single punches. It's like pow, 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 pow. And they're all hurt. Like you, you watch these body punches and head shots. It's like pow, pow. It's like, I'm not sure who has, I, I, who has a rhythm like that. And I'm not sure if I've seen that rhythm before. But it'll be interesting to see uh, where he goes uh, from here. Anything else you need? You have to share, uh, Will? No, not as far as the fight is concerned, but them, um, you know, punch effects. It sounds like you might be, you know, you might want to sign up. You might want to sign up for, you know, um, doing ad libs for Griselda. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah. funny because I did used to like them. Uh, I remember back in the '90s when they used to censor uh, Wu Tang records. They always put the sports shots in there, like shing and all that, and ha. <laughs> I used to always think that was interesting. All right, so another fight uh, that took place yesterday and also another first-round KO. You had Jose Cepeda uh, fighting against Josue Vargas on ESPN. Uh, what do you think about that one, Phil? Oh, it was interesting while it lasted. And I thought this fight would be longer because of the, the animosity that these two guys had. I thought this was going to be like a barn burner for about five or six rounds. But this this fight they didn't even get out the first round. Uh, Jose Zapata, uh, he's twenty, he's thirty five and two with twenty seven knockouts. Uh, he has a win over Ivan Berichick, uh, and also a win over Henry Lundy, and he has a, a win over the the, the guy I always confusing with <laughs> Jose Pedraza. And, um, he also lost to uh, Ramirez at one forty, uh, so he's going against. Josue Vargas who was 19 and one with nine knockouts. Now, Josue, Josue, he didn't have a lot of uh, experience as far as uh, names he's fought, but I thought that, you know, his style would present some problems for uh, Zepeda. But, but it did, I mean, at the time, I mean, I think, I think it's, it's, Josue just got caught. I mean, they, they both were, you know, in a softball stance and they're, cause they're both softballs. And um, I think Zepeda got off his one, two, uh, just faster and he caught, Way he caught Vargas coming in. Vargas was kind of coming in with the same one too. He was he got caught right in the middle of throwing that left hand. That was all she wrote. And you know, he looked like he had a, a two bottles of Jack. I mean, he got up and was just, just falling down and all that. And the ref was like, nah, it's it's not gonna go well for you. Um, it was all she wrote. It didn't it didn't last long enough that I could actually look at their styles or look at Zapata's style and say if he improved or not or what he's gonna do going forward. He just caught Vargas slipping. That was all she wrote. What are your thoughts, Will? Yeah, um, this is crazy because I was checking this fight out. I'm sure everybody was checking this fight out, you know, kind of simultaneously with with the Boots in this fight. You know what I mean? And it seemed like both guys were attempting to, you know, outdo each other, see who can get the knockout first. And so Cepeda, he thought, Based on what I heard him say before the fight, and I think Andre Ward mentioned this well um, in the first round, was that Cepeda, he felt like Vargas couldn't handle his pressure. And so that was basically his game plan. Actually, 
he was going to start off, you know, probably catching his rhythm, but then he was going to try to up the ante and, and pressure him to get maybe a fifth round, you know, mid late round stoppage. But like you said, you know, he caught him earlier than that and, and put him away. But as the fight started, Vargas looked more measured and confident than Vargas. Uh, Vargas was moving around, you know, with lots of uh, nervous energy. And then Jose, he was being very patient in the first minute of the fight. You know, sometimes Vargas would come in with his flurries, but what Zapata was doing, he just like take a step back and he was just, you know, seeing everything that Vargas was trying to do. Then at about a minute and 10 seconds into the round, Zapata lined Vargas up for a beautiful straight left um, hand that landed on the jaw and Vargas fell face first on the canvas. So anytime somebody fall face first like that, you know that they are in some serious trouble. And so Vargas got up with the L. Ray Hirsch, you know, crazy legs and Zapata stepped to him, you know, and he severely, you know, he stepped to his, his severely wounded prey and landed a lethal combination in the corner and the ref waved the fight off with about maybe a minute and 15 seconds left in the fight. And so, you know, it's another one of those fights where, you know, those young guys, they got to be careful what you ask for. Like sometimes you can fast track certain guys, but at the end of the day, it's certain steps that you need to take before you fight a fighter, the caliber of a Jose Cepeda. And like you said, Cepeda, he has two losses on his resume, but one of the losses, he had an injury. And then the other loss that he had against Ramirez, it was a close razor then, you know, decision loss that he had against that former title holder who was in a barn burner against uh, Josh Taylor, who's the undisputed champ. So all of those guys, as far as levels, they like right there with each other. You know what I mean? And Vargas, to fast track somebody like him, it was just too soon. And his arrogance, you know what I mean? Like just the, the cocky nature in which he went about you know, himself and conducted himself in those interviews leading up to the fight, it didn't, um, that didn't age well. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And the crazy thing is Daddy Yankee came in with Vargas, but I saw him over there celebrating with Zapata, you know, after the fight was over with. Um, Zapata, he wants Taylor. And I think that that's a pretty good fight. I think that's a very close, almost evenly matched fight. You know, I think that fight could go either way that I think that Cepeda could give Taylor some trouble. I think anybody at 140, he's going to give, you know, problems to. And, um, you know, it's, it's going to be nip and tuck. Now, as far as Vargas is concerned, I think that um, he probably can't wait to December 5th for Tank to do the same thing in a role to take the focus off him, you know. But that's all I have as far as that fight is concerned. Anything else you wanted to add, Bill? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's an interesting fight going forward him against Josh Taylor. Even though I'm not sure I see that fight as 50-50, I do think Zapata will will make it a, a pretty close fight and keep it, you know, a back and forth for, you know, and I, I think I think a fight like that will go will go 12 rounds. Um, and that's for Vargas. I mean, it's just like what we've we been saying, and, you know, you can't fast track these fighters. Sometimes they have to go through you know, certain names and levels, like we can, it's sometimes it's easy to complain about guys who are on a, a certain level and they never make it to the, the next level. But when you, when you let's say it's, there's three levels, right? Is there's top level, which is one, and then there's mid level, which is two, and there's the lower level of the weight class, which is three. Guys will sometimes spend all their time at number three and try to jump to one, and then and they haven't rent through two, even if they have the talent to go through two. Sometimes, the, the people that's in two, they may present challenges that, or things that you may not, you may not experience in the ring. Like you may have a fighter who is not a knockout artist, but they throw body punches like crazy because that's your energy. And you have to learn how to fight them before you start going up to number one. And I think that's partly what happened with uh, Jose, Jose Vargas is, is he, he probably just spent all his time at, at, at number, at the bottom end of number three. And now he's going to like maybe number one or, the top end of number two and he's and he's learning like I can't handle these guys or he's learning things that he needs to work on you know maybe he needs to work on his defense and not getting you know caught in exchanges like that but at the end of the day that's why these guys fight the fights I mean fights are not won on paper all right so before we go into our 
next segment, which is going to be kind of a preview of November's um, fights that are coming up. It's got a quick question for you, Vail. This weekend, who do you think was the standout star of this past weekend? Hmm. I would have to say Butayo. And I say that because, um, number one, it's not a lot that we've heard about him. I mean, we know about Busanis and we know about Cepeda. We see Zepeda in many, many fights. Uh, we've seen Zepeda in more fights at a certain level than we've seen Jerron Ennis, but we know Jerron in his talent. Butayev is a fighter who, if I was Jamal James, I would have done more research on him before not necessarily taking the fight, but before really investing in that fight. I would have done my research and say, okay, this is what I have to do in order to overcome a guy like that. And plus, Butayev has successfully put himself uh, – like, I mean, if, if, if it, the top 10 were probably watching that fight and they probably were like, hmm, and they're probably taking notes. But Boots Ennis, I mean, we already know. I mean, most of the, 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 the wealth waste, they know what he is and they, or they have an idea and they've seen him before. So they can really, he's on their radar. Even if they have no intention of fighting him, he's on their radar. Butav was not, and now he's going to be someone that, to watch. Now, I'll even say Boots Ennis need to pay attention to Butav because if he's, if he's not like up for fighting a guy like that and get in the ring, he can he can probably get surprised. So that's why I say Butaev. Okay. Yeah. So I mean that's it's that's a good good uh choice. You know what I mean? Like if I think about it, I think um, you know, all of those guys can make the case. You know, Cepeda, he shut up somebody who was talking real reckless and he was an underdog. That's surprising that. Vargas talked so much and he talked his way into being a favorite against somebody that he probably, he, he definitely shouldn't have been a favorite, you know, against. And then Butayev, most people didn't know anything about him. And he put on a performance, um, a great performance against a secondary champion. I lean towards um, neither of those guys because of the fact that I just think that Jamal James, you know what I mean? Like I saw him, I want to say it was like July 13th. I want to say it was 2019. I think I mentioned this before we were in Dominican Republic. He was fighting Antonio DeMarco. And I thought Antonio DeMarco actually beat him. And I hadn't seen Antonio DeMarco in so long. And he was really doing a number on Jamal James. So I just didn't understand the fact that how this guy has a WBA. Again, I don't want to talk down on the guy. I just, I don't understand that. Like how do these guys get these belts? So that's the only reason why. And I thought that he was vulnerable to anybody who was Antonio DeMarco level or better. And Butayev is better than Antonio DeMarco, especially at this stage of Antonio DeMarco's career. So that's the reason why I didn't select him. Um, but only thing I'm gonna say is this, these boots are made for walking and that's just what they'll do. One of these days, them boots just might walk all over you. So I gotta go with boots in this match. All right, so now the next topic. You wanna you wanna talk about what it is we're gonna be talking about next, Bill? Yeah, we're just gonna get some quick predictions on some of the upcoming fights that's gonna happen within the next week and the upcoming weeks. It's pretty much gonna be a, a stacked. It's gonna be some stacked cards from I, I believe November sixth, which is next week, till uh, going into early December. So. Uh, as far as if you're a boxing fan, I mean, the, the fourth quarter is, is, is going to end strong. So we have some fights that we're going to do some quick predictions for. We're going to give you our, you know, quick thoughts on what we think is going to happen. In All right. So we got the November 6th matchup between Caleb Sweethands Plant versus Canelo Alvarez. Caleb Plant is 20-0 with 12 KOs. Canelo, on the other hand, is 56-1. Two draws with 38 KOs. Plant is coming off a decision victory in January of 2021 against Caleb Truex and Canelo um, is coming off of a mid round destruction of BJ Saunders. He also recently defeated Caleb Smith. He defeated Kovalev recently, Jacobs. He fought Chipper G twice and his resume extends back to victories over Cotto, Landy Lara, Austin Trout. Um, and he also has a decision loss to Floyd Mayweather on his resume. So going into this fight, he's going to have a decisive advantage in experience and the level of composition that, competition that he's faced. 
Canelo's fighting styles. He, he's a methodical tactician. Um, and he breaks his opponent down throughout the course of a fight. Excellent counterpuncher, defensively aware. He lands unorthodox combination and he loves to lay traps for his opponent. Um, Caleb Plant, on the other hand, has very quick hands and fast feet. But like I said before, he has limited um, level of competition that he's faced. So how do I see this fight playing out? I see the fight being relatively even until around the seventh round. After that, I think it's going to be all Canelo. And he either stops Plant late or he's going to win by a pretty wide decision, um, a margin a decision victory. So I got Canelo, um, like I say, seven, eight rounds. I think that he's going to do away with Caleb Plant. Yeah, I see this fight as similar to what you do, what you do, Will. I think it's going to go probably longer than eight rounds. But I do think that uh, this this fight will be pretty even up until the, the mid to the, the mid rounds. And the sad thing about it is that Caleb Plant actually has the style to trouble Canelo. But he the problem is he never took some of those fights where he would gain the experience and you know there's still a lot of this, a lot of what happens in this fight and the outcome of this fight is going to be determined by one thing in my opinion and that's the uh, that's how tough is Caleb Plant and I, I do think you know fighters should fight more fight when they fight certain level of fighters they gain more toughness they gain more confidence and right now We've seen that Canelo is having a field day just on a mental level with Caleb Plant. And now Caleb Plant has to pump himself up to, 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 to believe. And he shouldn't really be doing it at this level. Uh, and and I, I thought that Caleb Plant really did a disservice by not taking a, a fight like a David Benavidez. I think it would have been better for him. So, so I think that uh, Plant will, will box for the first half of the fight. He's going to do very, very well until Canelo starts to show uh different wrinkles in this game because canelo is, is so well-rounded and he has so many different things he can do he's going to turn on something that's going to gonna happen to work by the sixth or seventh round and that's when he's going to start to drown uh Kato plant and the interesting thing about uh canelo alvarez is um canelo alvarez can actually be vulnerable in the late rounds because he you know he's had stamina problems but his experience uh and and the way he can just control the pace of the fight has improved so much that it doesn't even matter. So I, I think that um, Canelo Alvarez will uh, beat uh, Caleb Plant down on a stretch for uh, a UD, or he could probably may stop him in, maybe in the 11th round, 11th or 12th round. That's my prediction. So on November 13th, uh, we, we also have a, a middleweight fight against Jaime Munguia and get the uh, role warrior, I call him, Gabriel Rosado. Now, Jaime Munguia, he's, he's undefeated. He's 37-0 uh, with 30 knockouts. Uh, he's a, he made a lot of his noise at uh, light middleweight when he knocked out uh, uh, Saddam Ali. And from that, he's, he's taken on a certain uh, level of opponents. But as, you know, the, the WBO champion, he never really had that defining fight or fight at 154 that really would have made me believe that he's as good as he was marketed. And he's kind of like... Uh, to me, he's similar to uh, Jared Hurd, where he's a, a guy who's really, really big. He was really, really big for that weight, and he was getting over being a weight bully and having a high volume. But now he's fighting Gabriel Rosado, um, who is uh, 26 and 13, and his record is misleading because you know, he's been there with any and everybody from, from Triple G to uh, David Lemieux to Jam the Jamal, I mean, Jamel Charlo to Peter Quillen. He's been in there with, with a, a whole number of styles and even bigger guys and uh, the Jaime Mugia. And I think this is going to be a guy who Mugia is going to learn that he can't just outmuscle and, and, and it's going to be a tough fight. So I, I, I'm actually going to go on a, on a hinge here and I'm going to pick uh, Rosado for the upset that he's going to, he's going to give uh, Mugia uh, a, some trouble, similar to what we saw, you know, last night with Jamal James, he's going to, you know, throw some body shots out there. His experience is going to uh, take over and I think he's going to beat, uh, Jaime Mugia down the stretch and Mugia is going to learn that lesson that he is certain fights that he should have taken what were your thoughts on it Will? So Mugia 25 years old um, Rosado is 35 years old so there's a 10 year age difference there Jaime Mugia is coming off the Camille Sheremeta fight that he won by six round TKO in June of this past summer and on that same card 
you had Gabe Rosado, who looked outstanding um, in his third round destruction of Beck the Bully. Um, as far as Jaime Leguia, what I like about him, he's nice offensively. You know, he still needs a little bit of work on the defensive end, but I love the high work work rate that he he um, shows throughout um, each and every fight. Now, as far as Rosado, just as you mentioned, as you stated, that he's a seasoned veteran, you know, fought pretty much everybody. And even with the names that you mentioned, that he's basically seen it all. So I don't think it's anything that Munguia is going to bring to the table that he hadn't seen before. But after further review, um, I think that I favor Munguia, like more so now than I did previously. Just looking at the whole picture, all of those losses that Rosado's had, man, like you said, some of them are misleading because he actually could have won some of those fights. But these are the things, these, this is the reason why I have McGee maybe 60-40 um, in favor of him is based on the youth, his high work rate, um, and he's getting better. Also, probably even more so than anything else, Jaime McGee is more valuable to the zone. So I think that he'll get the benefit of the doubt in each and every of the close rounds. And so this might be a very similar situation to what Gabe has experienced in the past. He may, you know, for face value, you may think that he's won you know, majority of the rounds, but I think that anything that's, you know, remotely close is going to go in the favor of the younger uh, Mungia. So I have it, I see it where it'll be something like a 115, 113, or 116, 112 decision for Jaime Mungia. All right, so next up on November 20th, we have Terrence Bud Crawford versus Sean Showtime Porter. Bud sports a record of 37 0. 28 KOs. He's a southpaw. He's 33 years of age. Sean Porter's 34 years old, and he has a record of 31, 3, and 1 with 17 KOs. Sean Porter is coming off of a 12-round victory over Sebastian Formella, and Terrence Bud Crawford is coming off the Kell Brook victory, um, in which he scored a fourth-round KO. Now, this is going to be a very interesting fight. You know, that's going to be probably the most, um, I would say, difficult, the most challenging fight that Bud, I would say, faced probably in his whole career, I, I would I would think, you know, because Sean Porter is, has that rough and tough style. Um, he applies tr tremendous amounts of pressure. You know, he has um, physical gifts in terms of, of that physical strength and also, you know, the fact that he just puts that mental pressure on his opponent. You know, I don't I haven't seen Buff face anybody, you know, quite like Sean as far as that and the skill level that Sean has and the fact that Sean has faced pretty much the who's who in the world to weight division. So that's going to be intriguing to see. But Bud is probably the most complete fighter that we have in the sport of boxing. The fact that he has like the highest IQ, um, he can apply pressure, he can counter punch. You know, he defensive maneuverability, um, he can end fight, you know, he can shoot power shots from different angles and he's a tremendous finisher, you know, if he gets his opponent in trouble. To me in this fight, I think it's like a 55-45 in favor of Bud Crawford. But the questions that I still have is I just don't know a fight of this magnitude, how will Bud, uh, Bud approach it? You know, is he going to box and move? Uh, will he stay in the pocket? The other question I have is who the who's going to be the referee? Because that's going to play a whole um, huge part of this fight as well. Because if a referee allows Sean Porter to rough Terrence Crawford up, then that's going to make it even more challenging for But But regardless of who's the referee, regardless of all of that, I'm leaning towards Bud because of the, his ability to make those adjustments mid-fight. So anytime throughout the course of the fight, especially like the fourth, fifth round, he kind of figures things out. And then it's going to be on Sean to be able to make the adjustments to his adjustments. And I don't know if he's going to be able to do it. And I know Bud can even adjust, even if he does do that. So I expect Bud to win this fight. Um, he has that mean streak. Um, and then also, I wouldn't be surprised if he stopped Sean as well, because he's able to generate power from some weird angles. But um, if I had to pick right now, I would say Terrence Bud Crawford by 12-round decision. How about you, Val? 
this fight, I think I think it's gonna this is probably gonna be for what I believe is gonna be kind of a fight of the year candidate. And I say that because I, I think Showtime is gonna show up. I mean, even if he loses, he's gonna show up. And the only time I see him in, you know, fights that's underwhelming is when he's trying to you know, box and trying to box underwhelming. I, I, he's trying to box a certain level of opposition. And with, with Bud Crawford, I think because Bud adjusts so well, it's going to force Sean into a point where Sean's going to basically just start fighting him. And Bud, on the other hand, is he's the type of fighter who's very prideful. So a lot of fights he can win just simply boxing. But I think in this fight, uh, I think Sean is going to ask the question of how nasty can Bud get and Bud's going to answer that question if he's nasty enough as a fighter. And I think that's going to be the difference in this fight. So I do think this fight is going to be pretty exciting. Kind of, It's going to play out similar to how uh, the Spence and uh, Porter played out. Like I, I won't be surprised if uh, Bud Crawford drops uh, Sean Porter along the way, but I think Sean's going to stay in this fight. And I think, but like you will, I think, Bud Crawford is going to probably win a unanimous decision or maybe a split decision. Uh, and, and I can't see him stopping him. I don't think that's likely. I think Sean Porter is, I've never really, I've seen him hurt, but I think Sean Porter recovers uh, quick enough where there won't be any, any issues with that. So moving along uh, on November 27th, we also have a, a lightweight bout again, that's been in the brewing for probably the last six months or even more. It kept getting pushed back. Now we have Teofimo Lopez. He's 16 and 0 with 12 knockouts. Uh, he's coming off his, his victory with uh, Vasily Lomachenko, and he hasn't. And this happened in uh, uh, 2020 of last year, approximately a year uh, from where we are right now. And he's been sitting on the shelf since then. So, uh, and he's going against uh, George Cambosis Jr., who is um, 19 and, and zero with 10 knockouts. Uh, and the interesting thing about Cambosos is he's five foot nine with a 68 inch reach. So I think he's either the same size or may even be bigger than Tiafimo Lopez, who was five foot eight with a 68 inch reach uh, listed. But I think uh, Lopez, even though he's a he's a uh, muscular guy, sometimes I think he's shorter than the five eight that he's listed. When I see him, you know, standing next to guys like uh, uh, Devin Haney or someone like that. Um, so I, I expect this fight to be closer than an expected fight. And I, I expect that because uh, Teofimo Lopez, it, it, it seems this fight, a fight like this being pushed back over and over again is not going to do him any good. And I think someone like George Kambosos, who, who doesn't need to be around the cameras or, or trying to promote this fight like he's a star, he could just be focused on Teofimo Lopez the entire time. And he don't have to be in, in the trenches, you know, arguing with the Devin Haney or anything like that. So I think this fight is going to be close. And, and um, I, don't, I don't think Tiafimo Lopez is going to be ready for the trouble that Campos is, is going to bring. Uh, but I do see uh, Lopez, he might may stop uh, Camposos late, but it'll be a fight that where he gets caused a lot of trouble. And, um, and a lot of people are going to be questioning Tiafimo Lopez after that, and he'll have to rededicate himself. So that's how I see this fight going. Um, I think that this fight here will be competitive. And I think that biggest reason why it's going to be competitive is because George Cambosis really truly does not like Teofimo Lopez so he's going to unless he just get clipped like real clean and he just can't take the punches you know he just gets not clean the f out unless that happens I think that he's going to fight until he can't fight anymore um but that's the main reason so like you said both guys are pretty much the same height and have basically the same reach. So I don't see that being an issue. Teofimo Lopez is very talented, has tremendous amounts of power, especially in that right hand. Uh, one thing about him is he tends to fatigue a little bit in the middle rounds, very athletic fighter. Now, Cambosas, on the other hand, he likes to fight in the pocket. He applies tremendous amounts of pressure, very good in close range. The one thing that I don't like about him is that he gets hit pretty flush, kind of a lot. The fights that I've seen him against the opponents that he's faced, against Bay, against Selby, you know, those were close decision victories that he had, but he was getting hit flush. And those guys don't hit nearly as hard as uh, Teofimo Lopez. Um, and then he doesn't, although he, he applies tremendous amount of pressure, he doesn't apply tactical pressure, meaning that 
he doesn't use angles or anything like that to get inside. And I think that that's going to spell trouble for him in this fight. One thing to look out for um, is both of these guys are coming off extremely long layoffs. So as far as both guys being rusty, you know, that's a lot that can, you know, play into that. Now, um, I have it basically a 70-30 in favor of Lopez, and here's why. Um, Cambosis, if you look at his resume, he only has 10 KOs and 19 victories, so there's not enough firepower. I don't think that's going to give Tiafimo anything to be concerned about, and Tiafimo is more skilled and has fought the better opposition than Cambosis. And Cambosis, like I said, he gets hit flush, and he'll be in there for those power shots. So he's, he's going to get run into certain power shots. And I just think eventually he's going to run into one that he can't take. And then the fight is going to be waved off. Um, so I have Tiafimo Lopez, probably about a mid to late round stoppage. On November 13th, we have a, a super middleweight bout uh, against the knockout uh, action-packed fighter, David Benavidez versus uh, the dude on the come up, the, the, the spoiler, I call him, uh, Kyron. Kyron Davis, um, how you see this fight playing out, Will? What percentage you you uh, give for the winner? I'll get to that in a second, my good brother. Um, so we have David Benavidez, El Bandera. He's six foot and a half, 74 and a half inch reach, 24 years old. 24-0 with 21 KOs. They call him El Bandera. You got the 26-year-old Kyron Davis, who's 16 two with six KOs. They call him shut it down. He's 5'10 with a 73 inch reach. Um, Kyron is coming off of a victory over Martez McGregor um, in September of this year. And he also recently had a draw. I want to say that was February um, against Anthony the dog, the real Benavides. He last fought in March against Ronald Ellis in which he won 11th round TKO. He was supposed to fight who's got the key, but who's got the key ended up testing positive for a banned substance. So Davis comes in as a late replacement. Benavides has been training with Gabe Rosado. Um, like I say, Dave is a monster. He's a killer um, and, and he's hungry. You know, I think in this fight, it's going to be tough for Kyron Davis because Benavides, he's another fighter who, who applies pressure and from start to finish. You know, he's supremely gifted offensively, very heavy hands. Um, he fights tall, you know, has every punch in the book, speed. You know, he got the body work that he does. He has, I think he has pretty good stamina. And then even though he has a 74 and a half inch reach, it just seems like his arms are, are longer than they actually are. And as I mentioned before, he's a straight killer. Um, as I also mentioned in the past that, there's two things that concern me about Benavidez, and that is that he fights uh, with very little head movement. He also has very little waist movement as well. And also nobody really has ever taken advantage of that with the exception of maybe a few times, you know, in his previous bouts. I just don't think that's going to play a factor in this fight. And here's why. I think Davis, he's better suited when I look at him if he can make middleweight, you know, he he's, he's fast and, you know, he has a really good chin. I don't know how well that chin is going to hold up against Benavidez because I think that the fight that I saw him in and I watched the whole fight, that was Anthony Durrell. I thought Anthony Durrell was winning and was outclassing Davis. I just thought that Davis outworked him. And then also, when they had their bout, Darrell was coming off such a long layoff that that played a factor in him having enough energy, you know, to kind of maybe possibly stopping Davis. I'm not sure if he would have been able to do that, but I think he would have won a decisive victory had he not had such a long layoff. And I think that he wasn't taking um, Davis, I don't want to say serious, but I think that he just wasn't up for the fight. And that played a factor in him um, getting that draw against Anthony Durrell. In this fight, Benavidez, he's ready. He wanted who's got the key. You know, he, he, he's, he's hungry. And I just see this fight being 
another one that's probably going to go about six, seven rounds. And I think that El Bandera is going to move on to bigger and better things. Yeah, I see this fight going similar. I think one of the things that's going to work against uh, Kyron Davis a lot in this fight is that he, he's taking this fight off for three weeks' notice. And, and you know, it's not a knock on his, his, his skill or his talent because I was actually impressed with what I saw against uh, Anthony Durrell. You know, he, he was outworking Durrell, and Durrell was he was forced Durrell to pretty much use his experience to win that fight. But even then, I thought, Kyron actually edged that fight and I had him winning that fight. Uh, very, very close. I could see, actually see that fight going either way. But against a David Benavidez, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, Benavidez may lack the head and waist movement, but does Davis have enough to like make Benavidez do something about it? And, and I would say no, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think he has that type of firepower. Now, I do like David's style and I think it and you're, you're right when you talk about the, the, the weight I think he would trouble more guys is that uh, middleweight. Even I think he's probably, I think I want to say he's fought at, at light middleweight not too long ago. So I I, I think he's a, he's pretty much a, a very very small uh, super middleweight, and I think he probably more is more suited to the middleweight division. Um, but with Benavidez, I think Benavidez is the, the only problem I see with Benavidez is really is is mental is 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 out of the ring. Uh, issues and and of course once he start fighting very very top opposition it's gonna be yeah moving that head and moving that body if he fights someone like Canelo but from what he's doing right now I think uh, I, I'm not sure I see Kyron Davis uh, winning this fight now will Benavidez stop him I'm not sure because I, I I think Davis is, is uh, crafty enough to to stay in there you know sometimes he can he can do a lot of different things he can box and move and he can fight with the high guard and 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 uh, clam up. And I think that's what's going to probably happen, that uh, Benavidez is probably going to put a beating on him, for, uh, you know, I think a 12-round uh, unanimous decision. That's what I see happening. Uh, any other thoughts, uh, Will? Let's do a dollar bet on that. Yeah, okay, dollar bet. bet. Dollar bet. All right, I got You heard it here. <laughs> yeah, I got Benavidez by stoppage. Because I just think that Davis – I just wish Davis would fight at a lower weight class, man, because he has some skills. But he sometimes he gets hit. He's one of those guys that gets hit flush periodically through a fight. And Benavidez, he's one of those guys that is relentless. So once he's able to like hit you with stuff, he's going to continue to do it. And I just don't think that he's going to be able to hold up being such a smaller fighter against, you know, a heavy handed tactician like Benavidez. Yeah, and he doesn't have, you know, a, a lot of, he has pop, but he doesn't have, like, power to, to really make people think. Like, he does have pop to keep people off him, or, may, or mm -hmm. but he doesn't have power to really, is going to trouble someone like David Benavidez. Um, and, yeah, you're right. I think, I do see him, if he moved down in weight, probably the middleweight, uh, I, I do think that's a better landscape for him. I think he, he can do more in his career. Uh, and it's kind of, well, when you look at a fighter in his position, he has to fight, take a fight like this. It's not like he's this sought after opponent, you know, that, that, that people are going to, you know, seek after. He's one of those guys that I think uh, some may look at him like, man, I don't what I need to fight him for. And cause he can trouble you. He can make you look stupid at in spots. And I think a lot of fighters see that. Um, and I think he, he's probably better suited to middleweight where he can get a, those fights with i could see him you know tangling with the uh uh one of the charlos might even be uh jamel if jamel decides to move up but, but we'll see i mean he's a talented kid oh yeah uh i i i just don't like how he he was pretty much put in this fight on three weeks notice this is not the type of fight you don't put someone off three weeks notice into a fight with david benavidez i would not do that yeah, I mean, it, it would be beneficial if it was, I just don't think that the matchup is good for him because sometimes, you know, those short notice fights, depending on the style of the fighter, it could work in your favor. I just don't think that this is a good matchup for him to be thrown in at this particular, against this particular opponent. But you can do that in other situations, but we'll see. It could work out in his favor and I hope it does because I'm rooting for the young fella. 
I just don't think that this is the opponent to take on, you know, such a short notice. But we, you know, we'll we'll see. You know what I mean? Like I said, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that you end up winning that 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 uh, that dollar. You know what I'm saying? And I think Mickey D still got like a dollar menu or something like that. You can get you a small fry or something. You know what I mean? But yeah, I'm put on my mirror and write uh, write Kyron Davis won this dollar for me. <laughs> Whatever. And I'm, 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 I'm finding on social media and texting to like, hey, you won this dollar for me if he does this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all good. But anything else you got before we wrap things up? Nah, nah, bro, we we good. We good, Danny. Come on back, man. You know what I'm saying? This this uh, you know, it's feel like I see how Jada Kiss and Styles P when they go back to back. You know what I'm saying? Like now I know what what it what that what's all in what that all entails. You understand what I'm saying? But. On that note, man, um, hopefully you guys enjoyed the episode. We'll catch you next week after the Canelo Alvarez versus Kellett Plant. About have a great week. Peace.